Welcome to Small Pleasures, the podcast that discusses great short stories and greatness in the short story form. My name is Livy Michael and I am a novelist and short story writer from Manchester, England. And this is Sonia Moore, a short story writer and translator from Paris, France. Bonjour. We have come together because of a mutual enthusiasm for the short story, although I think our responses on what we want from a short story vary, and we hope that the differences will provide a fruitful discussion. Today we're discussing A Walk in the Snow by Graham Mort from his 2010 collection Touch, published by Seren. Graham Mort is a poet and short story writer who's published 10 poetry collections and three short story collections, including Terroir, published by Seren in 2015, and Like Fado, published by Salt in 2020. Mort's short fiction has been awarded the Edgehill Prize, Bridport Prize, and Short Fiction Short Story Prize. He's Emeritus Professor of Creative Writing and Transcultural Literature at Lancaster University, and National Teaching Fellow and Visiting Professor at the University of the Western Cape, South Africa. One of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast series was because I believe that in contemporary fiction, greatness is mainly to be found in the short story rather than the novel. So the short stories we want to discuss, although really varied, are all great short stories. Sonia, what made you think that A Walk in the Snow would be a good choice for this series? A Walk in the Snow is an exceptional read. It's quite short at under 2,000 words, certainly compared with Alice Munro's long short story, The Children's Day, which we chatted about last time. Uh, short story writers are often told to cut descriptions and let action and dialogue do the work, but A Walk in the Snow shows how powerful description can be, how you can convey really complex information and emotions and explore grand themes. And nothing much happens beyond what can be understood from the title, but Mort's words make something happen for the reader. Yes, it's quite hard to describe the plot, but essentially it begins with an intimate scene in a couple's bedroom as snow blows against the window. Then they decide to go for a walk in the snow, but on the window seat there is a newspaper with a haunting image from the war in Iraq, and it's the way the two things are juxtaposed and woven together, the movement between distance and intimacy that makes something happen, I think. But do you think that a walk in the snow is a great short story? It's a tricky one, isn't it? It's really difficult to define quality. I do think short fiction is striving for perfection, and the short story, like the poem, is a form that can be taken really close to that. Uh, there's a writer I admire called uh, Alison McLeod. She's a short story writer and novelist, and she says that when you've written a really great short story, you can test every stitch, every scene, and see that you've made something beautiful. Um, I think Mort's story is one of those. It's intricately constructed, simple, elegant. It's humble in its plot, but lofty in its themes. Uh, and it's a, it's a transformative story in that it's about transformation, but also in that it leaves you changed. Your world is, is a little bit different when you've finished reading. What do you think? Could it be defined as great for you? I think it's beautiful, which is not the same thing, but what impresses me is the sense of space within the story, the largeness of theme expressed in just six pages. I'm reminded of the words of Alexander Pope, what oft was thought but ne'er so well expressed. He was talking about poetry, appropriately enough, since Graham Mort is also a poet, 
and suggesting that the poet makes memorable what's already known. So in this short story, I would say that the main themes are connection and transience, and neither of these is new. The same themes are found in Ovid's Metamorphoses and most of Shakespeare's sonnets, but they're brought right up to date and given a contemporary relevance in this story. It's really hard to express something that's universally true without resorting to cliche to find a new way to do it. And I think Mort does actually achieve this very beautifully. So the short answer would be yes. And as I say, Graham Mort is a poet. So how do you think this affects his short story writing? I often wonder if there's a, a special link between poetry and, and description. If poets are more inclined to take on this work of witnessing to the world and, and honouring it through observation, maybe, maybe revealing something of themselves in this way as well, their, their particular view. And place certainly seems to be really important to Graham Mort. His stories rove across geographies. Um, I don't know enough about poetry to say what's poetic, but I guess short story writers and poets have a certain kind of attention with focus on each word, each phoneme, the gaps between the words, white space, line breaks. And they're orchestrating images and sounds to shape each piece to its ideal form. Um, and they're both compressed forms as well. Poetry and short stories both relate very closely to oral traditions. So they're often experienced all in one go in few heartbeats by number, but big time heartbeats in that they're intensely felt and intensely lived. I love that description. My heart sometimes sinks when people refer to poetic writing because they can mean work that's very descriptive or overloaded with adjectives, almost the reverse of what you're saying here about attention and focus, compression and orchestration. And also, it reminds me of what you said in our first podcast about the short story being about the joy of living intensely and exquisitely. Mm, yeah, there's, a, there's an understanding that the reader's up for that, right? That uh, the writer can ask a lot of the reader in both genres. And the reader's working all the time, making connections, trying to work out what's being said, what will come next. So uh, it's inferencing and, and predicting, which is the work of reading. Yes, I wonder if that's why short stories are not considered to be a commercial form like the novel. They're shorter than the novel, but definitely not easier. I would always read a novel before going to sleep rather than a short story because I really have to give short stories my full attention or I miss something vital. Mm, I get that. It's true that they're, they're not often an easy read. I'm intrigued by this connection you make between commercial pressure on the novel and non-greatness. Uh, both poetry and short fiction, I guess, are largely free from commercial pressure in, in bad ways and that it's not possible to survive financially as a short story writer, for example, but in good ways, too, because there's this freedom to create with no concern for anything other than crafting the piece exactly right. And the short story isn't something that's consumed. As a writer, you're making an experience. That's right. And the only test of it is whether you feel it has successfully captured that experience, not how many readers it appeals to. And readers can and should read for any number of reasons to switch their minds off, for instance, after a difficult and demanding day. Whereas I think your mind has to be fairly switched on for the short story because of the line by line detail and the way in which the internal organisation may in itself have something to say, which brings me on to the question of how is this short story organised? So I read it as a series of stanzas. I saw like two pendant still lifes, 
um, although there's a lot of action, so maybe still life isn't the right metaphor. Maybe we can see this as some stiff, uh, I don't know, a set in a theater or something. But in each one, there's uh, the same elements. There's a bed, there's a window, uh, a male person, a female person. And Graham plays with, with patterns between the two, patterns of memory, the readers and the narrators. And he uses color and repetition uh, visual devices and themes that make kind of beams and vaults through the story. There's there's a kind of restricted color palette. I I thought there's white, like the snow, the plaster, the blank page. There's yellow. Um, it's urine soaked hay, for example, and urine patches in the snow. And then there's black and white. And I I think all of these things kind of relate to death and putrefaction and hunger. And then these really um, vibrant colors of blue and red coming up again and again as well in the substances related to, to transformation, so fire and water. And then the thing that really blew me away is the way he uses certain words uh, over and over again, which is something that's really rare in short fiction because people often try to deliberately avoid repeating the same word. And here you have similar words used to make connections through the stories. So you have, for example, crusty bandages and then the crusted hawthorn hedges, or the little boy's legs displayed and then the crow's wings displayed. Uh, and then there's this central, I don't know if we could see it like a, a pillar in the story of the bed where we see it. I, I don't know, it's used for love making. Babies are born there, sick people are looked after there. It's associated with death and burial under sheets. And then the, there's a burial in the snow as well. And this is actually where Graham Mort starts his story as well with the bed, which is a pretty incredible thing, right? To start a story that way by hopping into bed with a narrator. Hmm. Absolutely. But what about the quote at the beginning, our skin is what stands between us and the world? That's from Diane Ackerman, poet and naturalist. And this thought seems to me to have something to do with how this short story is organised. It's an incredible quote, isn't it? I, I guess skin is also our interface, right? It's, it's um, well, when we reach out, it's to touch and, and be touched. Um, it made me think a little bit of a story by David Constantine called The Cave. Uh, David Constantine is also a poet and short story writer. And his story, The Cave, is collected in another country published by Comma. And there's this similar tension between connection and separation in his story. He speaks of the, the grief inherent in the human condition, the unknowing, our loving, and the, our awareness of our connectedness. And like uh, Mort, he also uses photographs as a way of making individuals present. So people from different times and spaces become present through representation in image and evocation through words. Um, and at the same time, there's the, this awareness of the terrible distance between us, our different skins and the, the separation of, of death, ultimately. That's fascinating. I don't know that story, but I'll look it up. The short story I was reminded of was Virginia Woolf's The Mark on the Wall, which was written in 1917. And he's said to be an early example of her movement into a modernist style. And this story starts with a mark on the wall, moves outwards into various contemplations, considerations of life and death and nature, then inwards back to the mark, encompassing you know, life, death, mortality on the way. And 
really this kind of style of writing illustrates the idea that reality is to be found in musing and contemplation. That takes us back to what we were saying earlier, right, about, about description, I guess. And I suppose being is often just looking at the world in our own particular ways. Yeah, I didn't know Wolf's story before you introduced me to it, so I'm really grateful for that. And I found it online, and the story can be found online if anybody wants to check it out. Um, there's, there's a bit of a difference in that Wolf's narrator is sitting with her thoughts spiraling out and then returning to this mark on her wall, whereas Mort's um, hero, if we can call him that, is out and about, right? Yes, there's, there is certainly more actual movement kind of, plot movement, if you like, in Mort's story than in The Mark on the Wall. And the imagery itself, the, that of the snow, is kind of moving imagery, isn't it? And you, you're saying that Wolf's narrator is contained in a domestic space. Yeah. yeah and, I suppose there's questions of gender there. Yeah. And Mort starts off in a domestic space, but then they move out from that. And actually, the woman in the image, in the photograph, in Mort's story is also in this kind of domestic space, well, a hospital space, isn't she, sitting by her son. Um, so, yes, that kind of tension between movement and the static image is there in Mort's story. But I think I was thinking that there's a similarity in the presentation of time and space in both stories, in the use of image and metaphor over plot. And I was reminded of another Greek word, not katabasis, which we talked about last time with reference to Alice Munro's story, but chronotope from chronos time and topos space. And this is a term used by Bakhtin in his 1937 essay, Forms of Time and the Chronotope in the novel, where he talks about how configurations of time and space are represented in language. He said there's a spatial and temporal basis of all actions in the novel, but this is different in the short story. Another critic, Andrew Plowman, said that in the short story, spatial qualities are emphasised over the temporal ones of the novel because the short story is characterised by compression and intensity and by a kind of collapsing of time frames. Oh, that is fascinating. I love this, this expression, collapsing of time frames. That's very exciting. I have to check those out. <laughs> it, it made me think of this German Enlightenment guy called Lessing. He, he analysed artworks and poetry and he kind of attributed them to separate realms. So poetry he saw in terms of a temporal realm and then artwork in terms of a spatial realm. Yeah. Is that a little artificial, maybe the separation of the two, of space and time? Yes, I think one of the things that Bakhtin was saying is that they do go together, but when you represent them in language, something happens. It's a kind of transformation of time and space in the written word. When you read a short story or a novel, you're transported into times and space in different ways. So in this short story, as you're saying, kind of more, more ranges throughout different geographies in a very short space of time. It's almost impossible to decide what the time frame of the short story is. On one level, it's just the time taken from when they're looking at the snow through the bedroom window to when they're going out for a walk. But another, it encompasses this image of the woman in the hospital room and um, reflections on life and mortality, which we get to at the end. Um, 
I think you were saying that time is linear, but it, for, yeah. yeah, for a lot of, I, I suppose this is how we conceive of it, right? In my in my two cultures, which are Western Western European cultures, I yes. would say this is the dominant way of perceiving as of time as a thing that moves in a straight line from the the past to the present to the future through seconds, minutes, and so on. But I don't know how much that relates to lived experience. And maybe for short story writers, it's worth thinking of time in, in different or different models. So you could have spiral time or circular time or network time. And I know a lot of people are interested in this idea of Kairos, of the coming together of like space and time to find the opportune moment. So the right thing at the right time. I, I think of heartbeats as well. I think this is how you can measure, I guess, a life, but also a short story. It's, a, it's about making mean, meaningful moments. I yes, I think that's true because a bit like poetry, they kind of cut to the essence of a situation. So when we were talking about the long short story last time, The Children's Stay, we said that uh, actually it contained enough material for a novel but Monroe had extracted the key moments out of that. And this is probably true also of Graham Walsh's short story. But yes, the idea of making meaningful moments is, I think, one of the key differences between the short story form and the novel. And in this short story, time and space are presented very differently from Monroe's The Children's Day and are closer, really, to Virginia Woolf's The Mark on the Wall. There's also a quote by the German critic Leonard Herrmann about framing, how time and space become present as an aesthetic effect of fictional narration. I love that, that word framing, because the short story form itself is... Um... It's a kind of frame, right? It sets a boundary or a limitation. And it is that boundary that creates a space in which something can happen. And what do we mean by aesthetic effects here? To me, it means that the movement through time and space is part of the aesthetic, the beauty of the creation. And that's true for me with this short story. It would be less beautiful without that movement through um, time, past, present and future and through space from the room where the snow is falling to the room in Iraq. It would be less movement, less beautiful without that. I mean, the frame of this short story seems to me that it begins and ends with the contemplation of the snow outside. But within that frame, Mort moves from the intimate and domestic through nature, through continents and from the past to the future. And this movement is embedded in shifting tenses in the language, suggesting a kind of omnipresence, ultimately, that all time is present there within the short story. The movement into the future tense and the use of pronouns is particularly interesting to me. Actually, there is no future tense in English. This and the fact that there is relatively more use of you and we than I adds to the effect of the dissolving of identity in the short story, in this particular short story, in the other. At the end, I think the snowstorm represents a kind of death, but then there's this breaking of the fourth wall, the different use of the pronoun you at the end. And the movement seems to make the alien intimate since we move from the close to the wide focus and back again. 
it's all very fluid and expertly controlled. And these are links that I hadn't initially thought of to the Alice Munro, the shifts in tense and focus. And, and refer how do we say that word? Referentiality as well. Yeah. She, she references um, Orpheus and Eurydice, the myth, uh, to bring in her, into her story uh, questions of gender and uh, the tenacity of gender roles. And Graham um, yeah. Moore's story, there's uh, the reference, I think just one reference to Gilgamesh, right? Yes, but it is an interesting connection because Gilgamesh, like Orpheus, is another one of those mythic figures who journeys into the underworld to go to look for somebody, his beloved companion, Enkidu. And he's told that he cannot have him back. Um, I think the literal translation is something like, they, the gods, let death be his share. So death is Enkidu's share and life is withheld in their own hands. But in one translation, there was a sense that death was the gift of the gods to man rather than the punishment of God to man, as it is in Genesis, in the story of Genesis, where Eve eats the apple and both Adam and Eve are punished with mortality. Oh, that's a fascinating way of looking at things, isn't it? It's a bit of a mind flip. Um, yes. And it, it makes me think, uh, again, of, of boundaries, how the, the boundary can make something happen, how the... The outer limit of a thing is also the thing that enables something to happen. It makes a space for something to happen. So the yes. relationship between life and death, I suppose. So that's a lot for Graham Mort to pack into his story. There's a life, death, survival, love, connectedness, separation. Um, and is it fair to say also that making be something beautiful is, is one of his aims? He certainly seems to, to focus on that. There's word choices, and there's a, a focus also on discomfort around beauty. You know, the he he brings up this image of the Pieta, the the suffering mother and child, uh, which it should be impossible to enjoy, but we do. And it's also this the beauty of this that draws us into the story, where we can connect in empathy and compassion with the suffering of the woman and her son. Yes, I mean, that for me was a sharp intake of breath moment when the narrative takes us inside the experience of the woman in the burqa in the hospital room so that she's no longer just a photographic image, but someone with whom we live and breathe, see and hear. Mm, that's beautiful. That's, that's alchemy, isn't it? It is. It's one of the great things that the short story can do along with the poem, I think, well, maybe all writing can do that. It just makes, makes it possible for us to enter into this experience that is otherwise kind of alien and remote. And connection, yeah. And so, Livy, if somebody wanted to attempt to, to write a short story like Graham Mort's Walk in the Snow, would you have pointers for them? Do you have wisdom to share? Well, okay, I think you would choose a kind of time-honoured theme that you can combine with a natural image described in particularised and exact ways. You create a kind of fluid, rhythmical movement of narrative, focusing on the exquisite and intense moments, to quote you, Sonia, rather than plot as such. And there's a kind of musical recurrence of image and word. Do you think that's fair enough? Does that 
describe how you set about it. <laughs> yes, yeah, and I like this reference to music as well. I think there is a link, isn't there, between uh, between well, maybe short fiction, certainly poetry and music. Yes, I think if you read this short story aloud, and actually I didn't do that, but I might do that with future ones. If you read it aloud, you would get a sense of the rhythm of how it unfolds and that rhythm of movement between the intimate and the distance is yeah. kind of reflected again in, in the language. You know, do read this short story if you can. It's a beautiful experience and it's in a collection called Touch, you were saying, Sonia, isn't it? By, right. by Seren Books. Yes, I think published 2010. Lovely. Very, very beautiful, I must add. A beautiful picture of amber on the front cover. A lovely colour harmony of amber and a soft grey. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for listening to our second Small Pleasures podcast. And do keep your eyes and ears open for our third Watch this space. We have so many great short stories to cover. Until then, goodbye from me and Sonia. A très bientôt.